we would repent of anything, God, that we need to repent of. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs. Guys, can you turn me up just a little bit, if you don't mind? Well, in January, when I preached my first sermon, I'd ask you to pray for me. I I did not think that one of those ways that I would ask you to pray for me was dealing with coyotes in our backyard in the playground. We uh, got home Thursday night and walked up the steps and nearly broke my leg after a coyote ran across the back playground and jumped the fence. So uh, pray for your pastor that he can deal with the coyotes here. What, what now? Who? Welcome to Tennessee, Rocky Top. So, um, but uh, as you're turning to Proverbs 12, we're going to be in verse 18. I wanted to make you aware of a few prayer needs. First, if you will pray for the Oscar Young, Junior Young family, uh, for Dora Cummings and their family. They are grieving the loss of Junior. I was able to meet Junior on uh, Thursday night as uh, as he passed away early Friday morning on 1245. Uh, The details of the funeral and visitation will uh, will be announced more than likely today. Uh, visitation will be tomorrow evening here at Bear Cove, and then the funeral will be Tuesday. We're not exactly sure what the specific... Dora, is Dora here? Dora, do we have times yet? Okay, go ahead. Okay, good, good. Thank you. So visitation tomorrow from 5 to 8 or 9 o'clock, and then the funeral will be Tuesday here at 5 o'clock in the evening. Secondly, we want to pray, remember Cashton. Cashton, are you here this morning? Is he here? He's here. Okay, he's in the back with mom and dad and grandma. Uh, Cashton is having a cleft lip surgery on Friday at 11, is that right? Friday at 11 o'clock at Vanderbilt. So we, if you will pray for Cashton on Friday as he has that surgery, we just thank God for his life. Uh, what a joy it is to have him here this morning. But we want to let you know we're praying for you uh, and the family as, uh, as he has that surgery on Friday. So, so there's some things going on that we need to be praying for, and we're grateful for that. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, we will be in one verse this morning, but we'll also be, if you have a bookmarker, a ribbon in your Bible, we're going to we're going to briefly be in Matthew 12 and James 1, but uh, you don't have to uh, mark there, but you can if you would like. But today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, and today's sermon title is The Healing Power of a Cross-Centered Tongue. The Healing Power of a Cross-Centered Tongue. Proverbs chapter 12, 18. Listen carefully. For this is the word of God. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue 
of the wise brings healing. Let's pray. God, our Father, we are so very thankful for your word. God, we ask that you would speak your healing power to our hearts this morning. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Holy Spirit, we can only speak the life and the hope and the healing of the gospel because, Holy Spirit, you have first spoken your word to us. And so, Lord, I pray that that you would be so clear this morning. I pray that we would not confuse your word with our own uh, ideas or opinions or baggage, but Lord, that we would receive your word how it's intended to, intended to be received. Lord, speak now, for we are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to step into my office on any given day, uh, you will notice that there is a set of books behind my desk on the top of the uh, shelves that are behind my desk, and they are different colors, and there are 67 volumes of this particular set, and they are the sermons of a man who preached in the 1800s by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, You will also see some figurines and some uh, paintings of this man uh, because he has been deeply influential to my life as I have read his sermons and I have uh, read him on a continual basis. But more than anything, we love, uh, some of you are familiar with Spurgeon, you've read Spurgeon, but there's a reason why I loved, I love reading Spurgeon, I love his heart for the church, and it's because he preached out of his heart. Some of you may know this morning that Spurgeon actually prepared his sermons on Saturdays. Now, that's not your pastor this morning, and I don't ascribe to be like that because I need time to prepare, but Spurgeon did something that I think is lacking in our day. He preached from the overflow of the Spirit's work in his life week after week after week. And a lot of times he would come with one verse or one passage, and it wasn't necessarily preaching through books. He would just come and preach what God was doing in his heart. And this morning, I share that with you because I want to share with you this morning that God has been working in my heart this week and thinking about our opening our sermon series last week on the cross and the church, that the Lord has been working in my heart about who we are going to be as a people here at Bear Cove. One of the things that I'm doing right now as your new pastor is I'm trying to cast vision and cast a a biblical vision and a biblical mission of what God wants us to be about. And over the last several weeks, two words have continued to just fly off of the pages of Scripture as I've been reading through God's Word. And those two words are hope and healing. And I don't know why that is. I think in the sovereign mind of God, he has a way of using his Word to prepare us for something that he wants to do in us. But this morning, I want to preach to you, first and foremost, out of the Word of God. But but I want to preach to you out of how the Holy Spirit has been working this in my heart over this week. And and this week, this, this verse has just been sitting in my heart like a good Cajun gumbo. It's been seasoning for 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 many hours and is ready to be eaten and just delicious and wonderful, and I hope the sermon's 
good, I guess. But it's been sitting in me since Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, I led a prayer time for a, a, a network of pastors that I'm a part of. And I had a plan to pray through 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as I was reading in my quiet time, I, I stumbled upon Proverbs 12, verse 18. And the Holy Spirit just really encouraged me, Carrie, use that verse, pray through that verse with these pastors that you're going to be meeting with. And we did. And this whole week, God's been really working Proverbs 12, verse 18 in my life. If you read the book of Proverbs, you know that Proverbs can be somewhat of a difficult book to preach because of its, its context. You can be reading about the ant one minute and the tongue the next, and you can be reading about here, in, especially here in chapter 12, you can be reading about the good man finding favor from the Lord in verse 2 and then talking about the tongue later on in a chapter. Some would say that Revelation is the most difficult book to preach, but oftentimes a book like Proverbs can be difficult to preach because there's different thoughts and they're communicated in different ways from verse to verse. But here's what I love about Proverbs, and we were discussing this in our Sunday school class this morning, which I'm so grateful for, is that there are people who actually do not believe in God because they believe that God's word is inconsistent. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's word is holy and clearly consistent. And this is what I love about the book of Proverbs. The themes that you read about in Proverbs, whether he's talking about a tongue, whether he's talking about the heart, whether he's talking about wisdom, whatever he is, or whether he's talking about the power of the Word of God, it's consistent. And Proverbs, when it speaks on the tongue, here's what Proverbs says about the tongue, is that the tongue has the power to bring destruction and death or to bring healing and hope and wholeness in Jesus. The tongue has the power to bring destruction and death or to bring healing and hope and wholeness in Jesus. Now, some of you might be asking, well, what does Proverbs say about Jesus? We are going to find out. We're going to see in Matthew 12, as we look about, as we see what Jesus says about the tongue being connected to the heart and how the tongue reveals what our hearts are. But 19 times in the book of Proverbs, the word tongue is referenced. And its message is consistent, that the tongue either builds up or it tears down. And for the tongue, if it builds up, those are the people of God. And if it tears down, these are not the people of God. I'm not going to read all of them for you, but let me just read to you a few of them. Proverbs 15, verse 4, kind words bring life. But cruel words crush your spirit. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 11, verse 11, good people bless and build up their city, but the wicked can destroy it with their words. Proverbs 15, verse 23, what a joy it is to find the right word for the right occasion. And then later, even in chapter 12, verse 25 here in our chapter that we are in, anxiety and a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And so Proverbs is consistent that the tongue, with it we can bless, and with it we can destroy. Peter Lord's book, I highly commend Peter Lord's book, 
bless and be blessed, how your words can make a difference. Peter Lord is now a retired Baptist pastor, but he wrote this, that when you bless, dramatic and miraculous changes take place. I love the way that is said. When you bless, dramatic and miraculous change takes place. What would it look like for Bear Cove to be a church that the people of God are continually blessing each other? That we're speaking out of a heart that's been, that has encountered God's grace. And so let's be a church that builds up and blesses people. Chapter 12, verse 18, the verse before us this morning. There is one whose rash words. Now let's stop right there. There's a contrast in the book of Proverbs, similar to what we see in the book of Psalms. In several Psalms, we see that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Proverbs 14, 2. If you want to see a clear picture of an atheist, Psalm 14, verse 2. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And in Proverbs, we see a similar picture of those who know God, who is covenant people, those who have been redeemed by God and know his love, are speaking out of his love for them. And those who don't speak curses and speak destructive things. And so Proverbs, the beginning of this verse, he's he's contrasting and comparing those who are in God and those who are not. There is one whose rash words. Now this word, rash. What does he mean here? This is the picture of this is speaking too quickly without thought or purpose. Speaking too quickly without thought or purpose. It's the word used in the Old Testament in describing thoughtless words. Leviticus chapter 5 verse 4 talks about the one who speaks a rash oath. Numbers chapter 30 verse 6 speaks of thoughtless utterance. It's words that are not thought out. Now, some of you, let me, let me share this real quick with you. When I was interviewing with the committee, there were several questions that they asked that I had to pause. Ken's looking at me. It's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. There were several questions that I had to pause to, to, to really explain myself and what my convictions were because I, want, I didn't want to be thoughtless in my response. These, these rash words They're communicated out of a heart that's not thinking about others. And we see this all the time, don't we? When we lose our patience with others, we're prone to speak rash words. When we lose our patience in our marriages, we're prone to speak rash words to our spouse. When we lose our patience with our kids, we don't stop and, and, and wait to say something that would be good and timely, we are prone to speak rash words. Perhaps you're on a job and you've been weighed down and you become anxious and you can't do, you feel like you can't do anything right because of the pressure of a boss or a coworker. We're prone to say, rash words, things that we don't intend. I think Philippians 2 speaks to this. Remember Jesus? Remember what Paul says about Jesus, that he considered others more important than themselves? I think when we consider ourselves more important than others, when we put the needs of our own over others, we tend to speak rash 
words. And we don't stop and think about what we're saying. When we think that we can operate apart from the Holy Spirit and His work in our hearts, we are prone to speak rash words. When we are not trusting the Spirit's work in our hearts, we will forget that we can fight against rash words from the power of a humble heart in Christ. This, is, this, is, this, is, this marks so many today. We, we see rash words that are spoken all the time in the world and in the church. Here's what else I'm convinced of. When we fail, when we neglect the Word of God, we're prone to speak rash words. I have found that, that those who are not invested and those who are not trusting and reading and loving and delighting in the Word of God, that they are prone to speak rashless words. When we are, remember Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does what? Meditates on your law day and night. These are these are things that, that help us in, in understanding what God's heart is for His church. Blessed is the man who meditates on your law both day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water. When we are not meditating on the Word of God, we are prone to speak rash words. When we are unformed by the Word of God, we are prone to speak rash words. Listen here, what are these rash words like? He says they're like sword thrusts. The picture here is a fast, non-stop jabs of a sword. You ever seen Rocky movies or any boxing movies and the, they're practicing, they're warming up, and they're just not, they're that punching bag, and that punching bag is just not stopping and going and going and going? Picture here is that when we speak rash words, they're like a thrusting sword. What does this look like? A life of continually putting down others. A life that doesn't see others as God sees them. How about this? Constantly holding the past against others. Constantly holding past sins against brothers and sisters in Jesus. When Jesus says, it is finished. Constantly thinking about and meditating on those things that have been bad and are hurtful and not pursuing repentance and reconciliation? Do you, many, do you know how many times in marriages that I've heard the phrase, I'll never forget this? I'll never forgive you for this? You know what that's like? Proverbs says it's like a sword and it's nonstop. Do you know that the greatest lie that we've told our kids Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt. Nothing could be further from the truth. The whole, the whole book of Proverbs would speak against this. Let me say this very carefully. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in Pilgrim's Progress. Sarcast, sarcasm, which intends to wound. Did you know that the word sarcasm comes from the Greek word sarks? And do you know what that means? It's a tearing apart of the flesh sarcasm that's intended to wound, it's like a sword that never ends. Let me say this very carefully. 
saying things in a manipulative manner to get your way, it's like sword thrust into the flesh. Things that we say that are intentionally hurtful, God's word is clear that these rash words are like sword thrust. And then he says here in the second part of this verse, but the tongue. Now, he's not talking about the literal tongue here. He's talking about the heart. And scripture is clear. Now, he is talking about what we say, but he's using it figuratively to talk about the nature and the character of our hearts. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 12. And this is one of, as you're turning there, let me share with you that this is a, uh, what we call Scripture interpreting Scripture. Where does the Word of God talk about the nature of the tongue and the nature of the heart? Well, we see a very clear picture of what Jesus says about the heart in Matthew 12, verse 33. Now, let me give you the context as you're turning there. Uh, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are confronting Jesus. Jesus is talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the one unforgivable sin. He's, he's confronting them. He's declaring his authority as the Son of God. He has healed. He has done many great things. And the Pharisees do not believe that this is the Son of God. And so in 30, Matthew 12, verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. I want to stop right there. I want us all to read that out loud together. I want us all to read verse 36 out loud together. Say it with me. Verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Not only does the tongue reveal the heart, not only does what we say reveal who we are, what else does Jesus say the mouth tells us? It tells us what we believe about the gospel. It tells us what we believe about him. It tells us what we believe about his power and his glory and his kindness to us in Jesus. That's what this section of Scripture is telling us is that Every careless word we are going to be held accountable to. And I'm, I'm really grateful, too. Again, this, this morning, we, and thinking of, of, of what we discussed in Sunday school, we're, we're accountable for not only what we do, but what we say. Now, this is, bodes us another question. What does this look like in our world? Many of you, perhaps in the 90s, read the Jeff Foxworthy book, You Might Be a Redneck If. I did. And uh, let me just share with you this. If you are continually speaking anxious thoughts, you may reveal that you do not believe in God's perfect plan. Now, hear me this morning. I'm not saying that anxiety is not a real issue. I'm not saying that we, we all don't deal with things that are hard and difficult and, and 
and trials that we deal with. I'm not putting down anxiety. We all, I think we all, if we be honest this morning, we wrestle with anxiety. But if we don't stop and rest in God, if we're constantly and continually living a life of anxiety, it might reveal that our heart's not fully trusting God. If we're constantly thinking about things and holding things and holding on to them without letting go and trusting God, we might reveal, our hearts might reveal that we don't believe in God's perfect plan, His sovereignty. If you are continually speaking angered thoughts, you may be, you may be revealing a God who is unconcerned with our hearts. If you are constantly angry about every petty thing, you may reveal that God is unconcerned with our hearts. If you speak more about trivial matters than the glory of Christ, it might reveal where your priorities are. Let me share with you a story. My dear friend, Brad Booth, passed away last year of cancer. Brad was a godly man. Brad was a follower of Jesus. I know of no one in in my own life who probably loved Jesus more than Brad did. He was diagnosed with severe uh, stage four uh, uh, sarcoma several years ago. And his life, not once did I hear him complain about treatment, complain about what was going on in his life. Not once did I hear him say, I'm bitter. Not once did him say, I'm afraid. You know what his verse was? Throughout several years of dealing with cancer, Psalm 63, verse 3, because your steadfast life, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. What, what would it look like, Bear Cove, if that was the heart of who we are? That because of his steadfast love towards us, our lips will praise him. Turn with me now to James 1.5, and and here's where I want to take us, I want to read this, and I'm going to take us back to Proverbs 12. James 1, verse 5, James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So what does James say? James says that when we ask, when we pray for wisdom, God's more than willing to give it to us. Through our petition for wisdom, God promises to use our mouths to bring healing and hope and wholeness in our relationships. Perhaps you're asking the question, how do I live this life? Pray, pray and seek God's face and he will give you wisdom. He will give you the words to say in any and every situation. And so as we think about Matthew 12 and James 1, and now we come back, brings healing. Who are the wise? The wise are those who love God and, des- and desire to see others know the fullness of his love. The wise are those who know God and who are pursuing God and do- who desire to see others know his love as well. What kind of healing is he speaking of here? He's speaking of spiritual healing. He's speaking of emotional healing. He's speaking of a healing of a heart that leads to restoration and what the Hebrew word is Shalom. Everybody say shalom. All right, you just got a Hebrew lesson this morning. 
Shalom is the word that's commonly used in the Old Testament that describes the peace of God. And that's the purpose of the tongue. The wise tongue is operating in the Spirit's work in our hearts and it brings healing. Now, perhaps you're asking yourself the question, what what does this have to do with the cross? It has everything to do with the cross. It has everything to do what Jesus has done for us in his finished and completed work of Christ at the cross. If we, when we read Proverbs 12, 18, we should automatically run to the cross and ask ourselves the question, how can Jesus speak through me his healing power to others? Well, let me share with you how the cross applies to this. First, the cross empowers us to receive the healing words of Jesus. We must first be a people who are receiving his healing so that we might speak healing to others. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in Luke's gospel? There he is, hanging on the cross for sin. There he is being mocked and reviled by his enemies. There he is with the two criminals who long to be with him in paradise. One. There he is in his weakest moment. In his moment where he is being torn, his flesh on his back. What does he say to those who have put him to death? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We must receive that in our hearts in order to speak the healing power of the gospel. We must receive what God has for us before we speak his healing power. Secondly, the cross empowers us to respond to others with the healing words of Jesus. The cross enables us to speak the life-giving power of the gospel. And then finally, the cross empowers us to remedy the wounds caused by words. Here's the truth. We've, we, here's the truth. We've probably all been hurt Someone has said something to us, or we've said something to someone else. And in the process, we've been deeply wounded by words. And the cross reminds us that the words of Jesus can bring healing to those wounds that are caused by words. You are not familiar this morning with the story of Marshall Powell. And you may not know the name Marshall Powell. You know the name Matt Powell, who preached for me a few weeks ago. Marshall Powell is Matt's grandfather. Well, let me share with you a story of Matt when he was, in, he was living in Knoxville. He was a middle school pastor. And they were all at uh, his, his house. It was a big family gathering. They have a very big family. And Matt had gotten a new gun. And Matt thought, well, I need to bring it over to the house and show my grandfather. This is a great gun. So he brought, he brought the gun to the house. And he's playing with it in the living room. And he, he had emptied the chamber. And he's playing with it in the living room. Do you have the picture up there by chance? Let me see if we have that picture. There we go. So he's playing with this gun in the living room. And then all of a sudden, he forgot to empty one bullet. And he pulled the trigger. And that picture that you see up there is the bullet hole that's in the bottom of the TV. Well, the whole family was in the living room. And the grandfather was in the kitchen getting ready to prepare dinner with his wife, and Marshall walked into the living room and said, Matt, what was on television that was that bad? And so he, he walked in, and, and, Matt, and Matt 
full of shame, full of guilt, full of fear, ran out of the house before the meal because he could not live with himself because of the accident and the fear that he had brought upon others. So he left and went 15 minutes away back to his house. And moment, About an hour later, his grandfather called him and said, where'd you go? He said, Grandfather, I feel so bad. I can never go in your house again after doing that. That's terrible. I can never do that again. He said, Son, you come home and get yourself a meal. And he said, Okay. So Matt comes home. Whole family's still there. Matt comes home, comes back to his grandparents' house for the meal. And his grandfather took his whole family and sat them in the living room. Put them all in a circle. And he looked at every one of them, and he said, never again, never again, never again, never again, never again, never again, is that to be brought up in this house. It is not to be spoken of. It is not to be talked about. It is done. It is finished. Matt is forgiven and free, and never are you to speak about this again. Do you understand? And all those heads, yes, sir, we understand. Well, in January, in January of last year, I went to, I saw, I went to this house for the first time, and I stumbled across this, and I said, Matt, that's, and Matt had told me this story. I said, Matt, that's the TV, isn't it? That's the TV that you accidentally shot a bullet hole through. And I didn't realize that when I was talking about it, it was causing some tension. Because he didn't, Mar, Marshall didn't tell me this. So, Matt says, yeah, that's, that's the television. His grandmother walks out of the room because never again was it to be mentioned in their house. Bear Cove, as your new pastor, this is the people we want to be. Never again. We want to be a never again people because the cross of Christ speaks to this. It is done. I want us to do something a little different this morning. I have, instead of us singing a song as our last, as our last song, I've asked the sound team to, to play a song for us. Now, some of you don't like the word prophetic. Can you say prophetic with me this morning? Prophetic. Not pathetic, prophetic, all right? But this is what we call a prophetic song. And I believe that the Lord wants to sing this song over us this morning as it's playing. And I'm going to ask you to simply just pray. If you want to, again, this altar is open. If you don't know Jesus this morning, that today would be the day of salvation. Perhaps you've been wronged. Perhaps, perhaps you've been through years of verbal and emotional abuse. And let me share with you this morning, I don't mean to use this term politically, but I've been there. I know your pain. I know your hurt. And I just want to share with you this morning that if God can heal me, he can heal you. If, if, if he can heal me, I promise you, he can heal you. And so this morning, if you want to come kneel and pray, if you want to just sit in your seat and just listen to this song, you do that as well.
But we want to be a never again people because we want to live in the freedom that Jesus has for us. So you play that and then I'll come. Again, this altar is open.